If you have a Bible this morning, turn with me uh, to the book of Hebrews. Let's go to chapter 12. We want to pick up our study in verse 12 and then take it to verse 17. I want you to hear the teaching, the title of the teaching this morning, The Lord Who Strengthens Me. No matter what we do, we cannot do it alone. If I'm a Christian, if I'm born again of the Holy Spirit, in John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. And you see, it's a hard place sometimes because, you know, I've arrived. I'm old enough. I, I have my education now. I have my job. And, you know, I'm running a household. And so I can make it. I'm a Christian, but I can make it. Well, we need God. No matter what we're going through, we need God. And so the psalmist so beautifully speaks about my strength comes from the Lord. And we're going to draw from that this morning. But the writer of Hebrews, which I believe is the Holy Spirit, we know that he could have easily used Paul, but the Holy Spirit would have dictated. And so last week, the chastening of the Lord. He chastens those that he loves. And so now he comes back into this section this morning. How desperately we need to be strengthened from God, especially some of the trials that we go through. If you've been a Christian long enough, there's going to be that time where depression could even sit because you're constantly seems like you're going through the fire. It seems like constantly you're going through one trial or another trial. And you, you, you seem to think that that chastening hasn't dispensed at all. In fact, it keeps coming. And so you can easily begin to say, I just can't take it anymore. I sense that the Lord has left me. I sense that the Lord has abandoned me. And you see, Christians go through that because we want to feel God. We want to sense God. We want to know His presence. And this is where studying of Scripture brings it forth. I want you to write down these three verses. I'm going to read them to you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Now, he's going to use the word temptation. He's going to use the word tempted. And basically, it's that God teaching us through it. He's trying our, through the trial. Notice that he says here, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. That means that many people go through these trials, these hardships, these pains. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tested or tempted beyond what you're able to. But with the testing, with the temptation... He will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And so it seems like I'm right at the end of my, uh, you know, my journey. And I'm convinced. And the enemy comes forward. And he assures me, you're not done yet. If you study the book of Job, Job was going through his heavy trial. His wife came to him. And she didn't encourage. She discouraged. She said, Job, look at the mess you're in. You have boils from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. Curse the God that you serve. And Job responded, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so God is not going to give you any more than you can handle. 
And he says, with a trial, he's going to make a way of escape. Now, I want you to see the word temptation that he uses in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The Greek is saying that God is going to discipline us through that trial. He's going to try us through that trial. He's going to test us. Now, I have a hard time. Why would God have to test me? God wants to see our response many times. He wants to see if we're going to trust him. The word temptation also says that he's proving us. He's proving my life. And so I look at trials. You should look at trials this way. God is chipping away that old man, that old woman nature. And it's not easy. It's a hard place to be. And again, when you're going through it, you're convinced God's abandoned you. Now listen to this verse. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 5, Moses is getting ready to die. And he hands over the reins of the authority uh, to govern the children of Israel. He's given it over to Joshua. And the Lord says this to Joshua. Joshua 1.5, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so shall I be with you also. And then he concludes it with this. I will never leave you nor forsake you. How many times I have to go back to these type of, of verses and to remind myself and to be encouraged because a discouragement comes. Now, in the book of Hebrews, we're going to study this in chapter 13, verse 5. So we see it in the Old Testament, and now we see it in the New Testament. Hebrews writes, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said this, and he goes back to the Old Testament. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You see, the Bible teaches us specifically I don't walk by feelings, but the Bible says I walk by faith. And so don't be afraid to go back into the scriptures. Don't be afraid to pray through the scriptures. Listen, Lord, the Bible says you'll never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, the Bible says you'll never give me any more than I can handle through this trial. And so I place my trust in the Lord. I place my trust in his promises. Now, I want you to think about these Hebrew Christians that the letter's being written to. They're going through a lot of trial. The early church was uh, constantly bombarded by the Roman army, the Roman government. And so it was not easy to be a Christian. And then uh, if you were a Hebrew and you're leaving, not, not only you're, you're going to come against the Roman army or the Roman government, but because you're leaving Judaism, you're going to have to deal with a religious sect. You have to deal with the religious leaders. And so here you uh, come to that place, Lord, I can't handle this anymore. And yet the Bible says that God chastens those that he loves. And with that in mind, look how he begins here now. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12. He says, therefore, strengthen. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. Now when he says, therefore... When he says, wherefore, you'll see that in your, in your text from time to time. That means he's speaking about, therefore, what we just went through. What we studied last week. The Lord loves those. He, he chastens those that he loves. Therefore, you're going to go through this. Strengthen the hands which hang down. The feeble knees. 
And so God has to strengthen us. I can't strengthen you. You can't even strengthen yourself. But you go through the scriptures. God brings correction in my life, and I don't like it. God brings a discipline in my life or a trial in my life, and I don't like it. And I can get to the place where I can't even praise God, and so my hands are down, and my knees are weak. And yet the Bible says that that God loves me. Listen to the translation of verse 12 now. Take a new and a good grip with your tired hands and stand firm on your shaky knees. I like that. In other words, you can't do it. I can't do it. Because of the trials, because of what I'm going through or you're going through, weariness begins to set in. Exhaustion begins to set in. Tiredness. To renew your courage, you need to go to the Lord. Make an effort to bear them. Look at the picture. The hands fall down by the side. You can see that they were exhausted, so Paul is encouraging them. The Holy Spirit is encouraging them. They had been worn down even to the place of physicalness. And I think that's the hard part. I was thinking back about five years ago, and I had a sciatic nerve uh, in the back, my lower right back. I I never experienced that. I mean, I've had some back pains, and usually it goes away. But this was excruciating. Like every time I lifted up my leg to uh, step up. And so at our house, we're, we have a den and you step down. It's about eight inches. It's nothing. But it got to where I could not step up. I mean, it was just a shooting pain. And I remember I was out of the pulpit for about four weeks. I went to the doctor and... The doctor says, rest and elevate. I says, is there any meds? And he goes, well, I can give you some meds, but then you're going to be addicted to those meds. I says, is there a surgery? He says, yes, but it's 50-50. Anytime they deal with your back. And so I went to prayer. And I asked a lot of people uh, just to pray. And I had come to that place where you think God's abandoned you. God's not listening to you. The back is just going out, and we've had people here with various, you know, sicknesses, diseases, infirmities, and you just begin to think, well, where is God? And yet the Bible says he won't give you any more than you can handle. Now, the writer of Hebrews knew exactly what the Holy Spirit was doing. I want you to write down this verse. What we've been sharing here, he's drawing it from Isaiah chapter 35, verses 3 and 4. Isaiah writes to the children of Israel, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Verse 4, he says, say to those who are fearful, fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and he will save you. Now, this is a prophecy by Isaiah to the children of Israel concerning their trials. And many times their trials were, you know, these foreign armies that were coming against them. And he says, listen, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. He will take care of you. But in that moment, at that time, you just can't see. It seems like you're going to be destroyed. Isaiah's writing in chapter 35 concerning the future glory of Zion. 
the trials that the children of Israel would go to. Listen, from the time of Abraham until the time of Malachi in the Old Testament, they went through their trials. Now, a lot of those trials they brought upon themselves. They were worshiping foreign gods. They were marrying foreign women. And then these women would come in with their idols, and then they would build an altar for them. And God said specifically, don't do this. You know, it's hard enough when you go through a trial. But imagine that you bring the trial on yourself because, see, God will chasten those that he loves. And so if you're meandering and going out there and doing the sin nature, there are warnings that God will give. And so here's the children of Israel in the time of Isaiah, but then we're receiving it here in the book of Hebrews. Now, we know this. If you've been studying the book of Hebrews with us, according to the time frame of the writing, it's either two more years or four more years. Right in that frame, 70 A.D. was coming upon them. Little did the Hebrew Christians know that in 70 A.D., Titus and the Roman army would come in and level Jerusalem and level the temple, and they would be scattered. How much more that they had to trust the Lord. My strength comes from God. We're going to look at a few uh, psalms in that area. But let's go to verse 3 now. He continues the same thought in this next verse now. And make straight path for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather to be healed. And so here's what... The Holy Spirit is saying in, in verse 13, Ask the Lord for a straight path for your feet. Be an example to those who will follow you. Now, as you go through the trials, church, you tell your family, I'm a Christian. You tell your co-workers, you're a believer. People begin to ask questions. I hear you're going to church. I see you're carrying your Bible. What's going on? And so you share with them your testimony. I come to the Lord. I, I got saved. You know, things are being good in my life now. Now that's good. You've witnessed to them. But then here comes your trial. And they're going to watch you. They're going to watch you. And we are an, an example to those that are around us. Oh, they're going to see the good times and they'll say, well, that's great. But when they see the bad times. I was always challenged at work. The guys would always come up because they would look at you and they would say, you look like you're having a bad day. And I go, well, I'm going through some things. Well, you're a Christian. This is the type of people I worked with. They throw it back in your face. And so it's important that you're an example because people are watching as you go through your trial and many of these are non-believers, but many of them are weak and they're lame. And through what you're going through, you can bring them to the cross. Let us not stumble and fall short, but rather be healed. Become strong in the Lord. Because of your personal example, you can win others to Christ. You see, when I watched my friend at work, and he went through his trials. I didn't know it at the time. I mean, he was trying to go to school full-time, and then he was trying to work full-time, and he had two boys that were pretty rambunctious, and they were growing up. And I saw that, and I go, how do you balance this, man? 
I mean, I had enough just to be there because we used to work, you know, 10-hour shifts. And he was able to do it, and he would tell me, God gives me the strength. I did not understand that. You see, true strength of God builds character as we gather together, even through adversity, even through a time of trials, a time of weakness, a time of feeble knees, the hands drawn down. God strengthens me, and we need to learn to depend upon God. This morning, I had a young girl that came to the first service, and she was hurting. But I thank God that she knew to run to the cross. And we had some time of prayer, and she had some time where she was crying. And it's not over. It's just starting. And I told her, listen to the message today and trust God. You can't do it, I told her. And I'm telling you this morning, you can't do it. And I'm telling myself, I can't do it. I need the strength of the Lord. Now, I want you to turn with me. We're going to look at these two Psalms. Turn to Psalm 18 with me. Now, for me, if you've been here in the church long enough, I'm constantly reminding the body of Christ, get into the Psalms. The Psalms are beautiful. I have trained myself, especially when I'm going through my trials, to get into the Psalms. Now, I like to read the Psalm of the day, and I like to read the proverb of the day. And so I go by the calendar. And so today's the 15th. I will read Psalm 15. And then you go through the Proverbs also. But when you're going through a trial, you know, I like to just open up the Psalms. The majority of the Psalms are written by King David. And let me tell you, Psalm 18 is a classic. It's 50 verses. We're not going to go through all of it, obviously. We're going to read the first three verses. But let me tell you what's going on here. King David is writing in remembrance of his enemy. Now, his enemy at this time was King Saul. Oh, David loved King Saul. He loved his king. Now, King Saul was an evil king, made a lot of mistakes. And he was always trying to chase David down. And David would be hiding in the caves and David would be running. But David as a shepherd boy learned to trust God. In fact, there's one uh, passage of scripture in the Old Testament. It tells us that Saul went after David with 3,000 men. One man. Little David. Why did he fear him? He feared the God that David served. And so when David was going through his trials, he wrote them in the Psalms. And when you read David in the Psalms, he writes about his trials, but I love when he also writes of being victorious through the trial. God strengthened me. And so we begin here in Psalm 18. Look at verse 1. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. Now, the word Lord is capitalized. He's speaking about Jehovah God. God Almighty. He is my strength. I love you, O Lord, my strength. Now, the Hebrew word for strength there is that he is my rock, he is my boulder, he is my help in need. And so David knew where his strength came from. Look at verse 2. And again, the capitalization of the word Lord. 
The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust. He's my shield and my horn of my salvation. He says he is my stronghold. Now the word strength, he's my rock. He already mentioned that. He's my trust. I will trust in him. That's having faith in God. He's my shield. He's my protection. The horn of my salvation. He is the power of my salvation. Now I like this. He is my stronghold. The word stronghold here in the King James, it says that he's my high tower. And a high tower was a place of refuge, a place of defense. And so again, as I mentioned earlier, it's easy to say, God's abandoned me. It's easy to say, I don't feel God. It's easy to say, I don't sense you. And yet God said, I won't give you any more you can handle. And then with a the trial, I'll make a way of escape. Then he says, put your trust in me. I will strengthen you. I will become your rock. I will become your boulder in the midst of your trials. And so God is so beautiful in this area. Look at verse 3. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be prayed. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Now David loved the Lord, obviously. David loved King Saul. He didn't come against this king. In fact, one time when Saul and the armies were asleep, David's captain went down and he says, they're all asleep. God has placed them before you. And David comes down, if you recall, and he cuts off the edge of his garment and he goes back up to the hill and he calls out to King Saul, why are you coming after me? I love you, king. And then he shows him the piece of garment. And then Saul looks down and he could see that it had been cut from him. I could have killed you, but I didn't because I love you. Now, I don't understand how Saul didn't wake up. But God had him to sleep. And the men that were with him, that are supposed to be protecting him. And so David tells his captain, I will not touch God's anointed. And so again, look at verse 3. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Don't wait till the trial is over to give God the praise and the honor and glory. Give him the praise and honor and glory during the trial. During the trial. And watch how God's strength comes to you. Now flip over to Psalm 28. And let's take it a little bit further. Psalm 28 verse 6, 7, and 8. David rejoice because God answers prayer. <clears throat> Again, here's that picture. You're crying out to God, whatever you're going through. And it seems that God gives you that peace. And it seems that God strengthens you through this time. Oh, I've been encouraged so many times through that. But yet the enemy's always there to try to discourage. Look at Psalm 28. Look at verse 6. Blessed be the Lord, because he has heard the voice of my supplication. He has heard the voice of my cries, my prayers. And again, the word Lord is capitalized. And then he goes on in verse 7. The Lord is my strength. He is my shield. He is my heart trusted in him. And I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices with my song. I will praise him. And so David 
would write these psalms, which are songs. And a lot of the worship songs that we have come right from the scriptures. And so he would just write these things down, but then he would also sing them unto the Lord. I will praise him. And then look at verse 8. The Lord is their strength. Now, David was speaking of himself, but now he's speaking about Israel. The Lord is their strength, and he is the saving refuge of his anointed. God is not just for King David to give him strength. He is also Israel's strength. And if you study the history of Israel, God has always been there for them, even still today. But most of all, he is my strength because we're living in the now. He is your strength. The psalmist says, my strength comes from the Lord. We have to trust him, church, no matter what I'm going through. The hardship, the pain. Imagine, here's the Hebrew Christian. And the writer is telling him, I know your hands are down. I know your knees are feeble. You're weak. And I tell you, if you've been in a trial for a time, it just takes it out of you. You're exhausted. I've been there where you're convinced in your own heart, I am not going to make this. Oh, I've talked to plenty of pastors, talked to plenty of Christians. You're not alone. What you're going through is common to man. But you don't understand what I'm going through. It's common to man. Somebody has gone through it. Somebody. And so we're not alone. And so that's why we we read the scriptures, to be strengthened by the scriptures. But I want you to learn this. A time of worship while you're going through the trials is not easy because you're hurting inside. You're hurting inside, especially when you lose a loved one, especially when, you know, your spouse has died before you passed on. You know she's gone or he's gone to be with the Lord, but it's still painful. God strengthens me. Every time we have somebody here in the fellowship that, you know, their husband dies or the wife dies, and, you know, the time of grieving goes through, the time of mourning, and then I'll ask them, how are you doing? He says, you know what? God is strengthening me. You don't even know where it comes from, but it's God that is strengthening me. Because he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Now let's go to verse 14, and he just seems to, change a few gears here and he speaks about pursue peace it's easy to become angry when you're going through what you're going through listen pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the lord holiness must be a part of my life must be a part of your life before we get into verse 14 What the Spirit of God was sharing with me, take your eyes off of your problem and look to the Lord who strengthens me. Now, a non-believer can't understand that. But I tell you, when I'm going through something and it's hard, I call those that I know will understand. And I love it when they say, I know what you're going through. 
Let me pray for you. Let me pray for you. I have some pastor friends that I know will pray for me. And they know if they call me, I will pray for them. We need that in the body of Christ. And a lot of times, for the husband and the wife, your greatest prayer partner is your spouse. It's a beautiful place to be. Pursue peace with all men, with all people, and holiness without which no one can see God. Follow peace. Listen. Seek peace. Pursue after peace. And I like the word peace here. It's translated pursue quietness. <coughs> Excuse me. Quietness and rest that comes from God. I remember when I used to work, you know, my 60 hours a week. That was our schedule. And very few Saturdays that we have off. And so we looked forward to when we would have vacation. And it was far and in between. And our business, our company was always busy. And, you know, I had at one time three weeks vacation. Oh, they frowned if you asked for three weeks. Can you take one week? And then later on another week? Because they want you there. And, and you're looking for that time of what? Rest. That time of quietness. Even if you stay home. But you see, that's temporal. But the rest and the quiet that God gives you, man, it's eternal, church. It's eternal. Pursue to be uh, peaceful with all people. Now, God's given you peace. Be peaceful with others. Especially, listen to this, those who have wronged you, those who have hurt you. And I tell you, it's easy to love and to be peaceful with those that are loving and peaceful with you. But those that have hurt you, those are the ones that you have to have peace with. And the Bible specifically tells us that. And so it's not easy. I want you to write down this verse. In Romans 12, 18, Paul said this to the church at Rome. If at all possible, live in peace with man. And it never fails because through the years we've had people here in the ministry that have come against the ministry, come against me, and they're still in town, and they're going to another church. That's okay. But like it or not, it's still hurtful. It's still painful. And I'm challenged by that. And they're coming up the same aisle you're going down, and you have to greet them, and you have to be cordial, and you have to be peaceable. And I don't want to be fake. And only God can give you the strength only God can give you the strength follow them with peace and bestow upon them the holiness that God's given to you now the word holiness is is a strange word because the Bible does call us to the place of holiness but if you've been in the church for a time I grew up in Catholicism and so holiness to me was somebody who clasped their hands somebody that lowered their head and, you know, you would swear there's a, a halo over them. And that's supposed to depict holiness. Well, in some cases, that depicts pain. Imagine having to walk around like that. In the Puritan age, in the 1700s, that's what the Puritans were teaching. You know, the more somber the look, the more down the look, the more hurting you look, you were walking with God. You're supposed to have the joy of the Lord. 
But you live in holiness. The word is hagios in the Greek, and it means to be separated. You're different. The Bible says if you're a Christian, you're a peculiar people. You're different. You're not like the world. You see, God separates you, listen, from the world, and now you're consecrated unto God. Let those that are around you to see that. As you're finding peace in others' lives, let them also see this holiness. And without holiness, without this separation from sin, you cannot see God. You must come to saving grace. It's a beautiful place to be. Now, the word hagios uh, is another translation of the word sanctification. And it also means to be set apart. Separated from the world, separated to God now, consecrated to God. Now, I was thinking about the word separation. God calls us to be separated from the world. I'm in the world, but I'm not part of the world. People often ask, what is hell going to be like? And, and you read about hell. It's hot. There's a gnashing of teeth. There's a wailing. And then it says where the worm doesn't die. Where the fire continues. But I like what one scholar said years ago. It never left me. We're talking about hagios. Holiness in your life. You're separated from the world. Now you're consecrated to God. Well, in hell, the greatest judgment is separation from God. Separation from God. Now, if you grew up in the 60s, there was those that died that were in the music industry. And every time they died, it was an overdose, choked to death in their own vomit. And yet we followed them and we idolized them. And then they would always make a song about them. And then they would include the others that have died previous. And they said, oh, so-and-so now is going to be partying in hell with them. Or partying with They never say hell. In hell, probably the greatest judgment is separation from God. But also separation from man. You're going to be alone. They think there's going to be a party. This is the concept. And so listen to what the writer of Hebrews is telling us. Now he takes it a step further. I'm in the trial. You're in the trial. This chastening just seems not to go away. Be careful that bitterness does not set in. Because look at verse 15. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. And so I love what the Holy Spirit is doing here. He's encouraging the Hebrew Christians. Look after each other that none fail or lack the grace of God. And I have to ask this question. Does God take his grace back from us when I fall into sin? And the Bible says no. But we can so easily leave or depart from the grace of God. That's your choice, my choice. The Holy Spirit gives us an example. Guard your heart against this root of bitterness. That which causes uh, to trouble, to annoyance. That which springs up 
or what germinates causes to grow this annoyance of bitterness. Be careful that it does not defile. And the word to defile, that it does not contaminate or that it, that it, that it does not taint your personal walk with God. Now, keep in mind that the Holy Spirit is speaking of being strengthened by God in the midst of your trials, your hardship, your pain. But bitterness can set in very easily, and it germinates when we don't understand the ways of God. Now, I've been through some situations here in the ministry of the church. They're sometimes far and in between. But... We've gone through division in here, and it's very hurtful, very painful. And I asked the Lord, why? Why did you allow this to happen? And so you might ask, Lord, why am I going through this? And again, we make reference to this verse that hounds us in Isaiah 55, verse 8. God says through Isaiah, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts saith the Lord. You see, God knows what I'm going through. God knows what you're going through. Now, I learned this from Pastor Chuck years ago. It never left me. Our trials can make us bitter or our trials can make us better. As I go through the trial, God gives me the strength. God gives me the endurance. God builds me. And he builds you as the Lord strengthens you in the midst of trials. Now, you study, again, Job chapter 1 and 2. At the end of Job's trial, oh, his wife, she couldn't hang. But Job was strengthened. And he was given back a hundredfold. And it was tough, though. It was not easy. Our trials can make us bitter or our trials can make us better. If we are bitter... We can make those around us miserable. I don't want my example as a Christian to cause others to stumble and to become tainted or defiled. That they would see our example and say, I don't want no part of Christianity. And so again, they're watching you. They're watching me. And it's very important that we don't lead them astray. And it's very important not to blame God. The root of bitterness is a very deep root. Now listen to this. One bitter person in a given ministry can stumble a whole church. Oh, and I've seen that. I've seen that in other churches. I've seen it in our church. And so be careful with bitterness. Give these things to God. And my strength comes from the Lord. If God is my strength now, if God is your strength, stay away from sin. And he's going to use the example here in these last two verses of Esau. Esau and Jacob were brothers. They were both in the womb at the same time. And even in the womb they were fighting. And when Esau started to come out first, Jacob grabbed him by the ankle. And so this battle continues, and we're going to see what bitterness can do. Look at verse 16. 
Lest therefore by any fornicator, he says, or profane person like Esau. He uses the example of Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. The Holy Spirit is using the example of Esau. But I want you to see something here. The word fornication or fornicator is somebody that has sexual relationship with another person. And yes, I believe that Esau was a fornicator. He married foreign women. He shouldn't have been involved with them. But that's not what it's talking about here. You see, Esau committed spiritual fornication. He sold his inheritance that was God-given to him. Now, you have to think with a Jewish mind. And to them, the inheritance was everything. It went to the oldest son. Esau was the oldest son. But moms, I want you to hear this too. Jacob tricks Isaac, his dad, that he's supposed to be Esau. And Isaac falls for it. But Rebekah, the mother, had everything to do with it. Deception. And here's the hardest part. God honors it. God honors it. <laughs> but Esau was considered spiritually a deviant person. Esau was also considered a profane person. He was wicked. He was evil. And we're going to see this. Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of lentil soup. He sold his first place the rank in his family. Again, it might not make a lot of sense to you. But watch what happens to Esau. Look at verse 17. Now, obviously, when he sold his birthright, years go by. And when the time comes for the birthright to, to go to Esau, then he cries. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, speaking of Esau, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance. He did not repent. Of the sale of his own birthright. Though he sought it diligently with his tears. At the time that Esau did not realize the significance of selling his birthright for a mere a bowl of soup. But when the time came, his dad Isaac is up in age. And it comes time for the blessing. And the blessing was given over uh, to Jacob. Esau wept. Now, did Esau weep tears of repentance? The Bible says no, but he wept because he lost the blessing. Judas Iscariot was another one. He wept, but the Bible says he cried. He wept because he was caught. There were no tears of true repentance. And then conviction came to uh, Judas Iscariot, so heavy that he threw the 30 pieces of silver and then he eventually went out and he hung himself. But this story of Esau and Jacob fits so beautifully here as the Holy Spirit is drawing from them. Now, what about our inheritance? We come to saving grace and God gives us an inheritance. My inheritance, your inheritance is eternal life with Christ. And we, get, we have the grace of God. We come to saving grace. 
But do I take advantage of that grace? Do I sell out for, you know, a morsel of bread like this? Do I know that I'm under grace and so I go out and I sin and I'm going to come back, I'm going to repent of it anyway? And God will forgive you. But we have to be careful with that kind of logic. And a lot of people use it. Well, you know, I'm going to sin here. I know I'm going to sin. But I'm going to go to church Sunday morning. Be careful that that doesn't catch up with you. You know, God gives us grace. And he gives us grace upon grace. But I never, and I hope you never, want to take advantage of God's grace. Now let's read the story of Esau and Jacob. I want you to turn with me uh, to Genesis chapter 25. And I want to pick up the study in verse 29. Esau sells his birthright. But let me set this up, okay? Esau, to best describe Esau, he was a hunter. He loved to hunt. He was the man's man. Now, Jacob, in the other hand, he was a type. Now, don't get frustrated with this. He was a type of mama's boy. And he got away with everything, it seemed like. And moms, it's important, dads, it's important that we raise our children, as we shared last week, in the Lord. That we train up a child in the ways of the Lord. When he's old, when she's old, they will not depart. But then Rebecca gets into the scene here. And you have to read the whole concept. We're just going to read a few verses. Uh, look at Genesis 25, verse 29. Now Jacob cooked the stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. He was famished. He wants to eat now. And Esau said to, to Jacob, please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Edom is that later on, Esau becomes the father of the Edomite tribe. Notice verse 31. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look. I am about to die. Now, I don't think he was dying. But you know when somebody comes in and says, you better feed me now. I'm going to die. That's what he's saying. And Esau said, look, I am about to die. What is this birthright to me? Spiritual fornication. This spiritual fornication is the rejection of his own birthright that was God-given. God-given. And so basically, listen to this. All Esau cared for was himself, his immediate need, his flesh desires. And that's when our sin nature gets in the way. Look at verse 33. Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and he sold his birthright to Jacob. Now, this was a promise made. Honored. Honored by, by the Jewish people. Interesting, though, but we don't see it here. Mom's involved. She conjures this thing up, and, and she gets Jacob to do the whole thing. <laughs> it's interesting how we can sin and get others to sin also. Now, notice in verse 34, the conclusion here. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils, and then he ate and he drank, and he arose, and he went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. He scorned at his birthright. Why? Because I'm hungry. But he doesn't know it yet. Now flip over to Genesis chapter 27. 
Again, you need to get the whole context. We're just giving you, uh, you know, a portion of it. Genesis 27, look at verse 30. Esau comes to that place now, realizing his hope is lost. Rebecca's part of this scheme with Jacob, her other son. Don't understand it. But what is it that we do sometimes that we connive? I've been there. You've been there. Look at verse 30. Now it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had scarcely gone out of the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. So Isaac now, years have passed. He's old. His eyes are dimmed, the Bible says. He, Isaac blessed Jacob, and he thought it was Esau. But Rebekah had her hand upon it also. And then it goes on to verse 31. He also had made savory food, and he brought it to his father and said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that your soul may be blessed. And he says, And his father Isaac said to him, Who are you? And he said, I am your son, your firstborn. I'm Esau. Now he's old. He can't see. He already had a meal. But Jacob came and he tricked him. And remember, he puts goat hair on his arm. I find it hard to believe, but this is the deception. And God allows it, church. God allows it. Look at verse 33. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly. And he said, who? He says, where is the one who hunted game? And he brought it to me. And I ate all of it before you came, and I have blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. I can't take it back. That was the law of the land. In verse 34, when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. And he said to his father, bless me. He says, me also, my father. He's wanting something out of this. But he said, your brother came with deceit. And has taken away your blessing. Now. He knows it. I mean, Isaac knows it. But he can't change the pattern. Look at verse 36. And Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? And this is Jacob's name. He goes, and he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. And now look. He has taken away my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isn't there anything left for me? Jacob was a conniver. He was a scoundrel. He was called heel catcher because he tried to hang on to his brother's heel when he was going to be born. And now he's called supplanter here. And this guy was a character. And yet through him comes the 12 tribes of Israel. Have you not reserved the blessing for me? I mean, can you imagine what Esau is going through? Then Isaac answered and he said to Esau, Indeed, I have made him your master and all his brethren, and I have given to him as servants with grain and wine, and I have sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son? The inheritance is gone. That's what he's saying. And Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me, me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and he wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered, and he said to him, Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother, and it shall come to pass 
And when you become restless, then you shall break his yoke from your neck. This story about Esau and Jacob is very interesting. Interesting in many ways. Because obviously Esau could care less of his inheritance. But Jacob, God blesses Jacob. And later on they meet. And Jacob is so fearful that Esau is going to take his life. But then Esau was blessed. God had taken care of him. And so when they met, they eventually wept together. Esau becomes the father of the Edomites. He was blessed. Later, Esau was broken before God. And Jacob, as Jacob, remember when he wrestled with the angel of the Lord? He would not let the angel go. He says, I won't let you go till you bless me. And the angel turned around and he touched the hollow of his thigh. The Bible says from that day on that Jacob walked with that limp. He knew that God had touched him. Oh, later on, Jacob would go through his own trials. Remember when they took his beloved Joseph and then they sold him off to slavery? And they took an animal skin and uh, the blood of the animal, that is, and they put it on the, the coat of many colors or brought it back to Jacob, and he wept. And so, you remember when you were tricked, Jacob? It's interesting that God is my strength in a time of trouble. God is my strength in the time that I go through concerning my trials. The Bible promises us I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'm there with you. The promises of God. The inheritance of the promise of God. Let us not be like the prodigal son that squandered everything. And then he finally has to come back. And yet the father was waiting for him. Let us not take advantage of God's grace. And as we go through the trials, church, trust the Lord. Lean upon him and not upon our own understanding. Go through the Psalms like I, I shared earlier. And I tell you, I've, I look at a lot of my pastor friends. And I see some of the trials they've gone through. And pretty much Mary and I are blessed. We haven't gone through a whole lot. But that doesn't mean it's not going to happen. We all go through trials. Hardship, pain, to the point where my hands are, are, are weak and my body's weak and I can't even, time for prayer. The knees are, you know, feeble. And so this morning, before we leave, understand that your strength, my strength, it comes from the Lord. God is the only one that can strengthen you. You call me, and I can encourage you. Pastor Jeff, he can encourage you. We will pray for you. But, man, you need to get into the Word of God and let God speak to you. Let God strengthen you. As I shared earlier, I love to read the Psalm of the day, the Proverb of the day. But when I'm going through a situation, I like to just open uh, the Psalms and, and just keep reading. And I begin to see David. And I said, Lord, I see his plight. 
I see when Absalom came against him. I see when King Saul came against him. I see when some of his wives were mocking him. And David's strength, he knew it came from the Lord. When David committed adultery with Bathsheba and then uh, the child was born and then the child died. But previous, David had killed off Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. David thought he got away with all this. And God came, exposed his sin with Nathan the prophet. Man, let's have preventative maintenance. Let's not have to go through that. Let's take care of business now. So important that we receive that nourishment. Listen, that strength that comes from the Lord. And again, he'll not give you any more than you can handle. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord that he's going to strengthen these hands, strengthen those legs that are weak. And he's going to give you a straight path now. And remember, you're an example to others around you. They're watching you. God is so good, church. Trust him. Let's stand. We'll end with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the teaching this morning. Lord, it has stirred my heart. As we saw the chastening of the Lord, that God chases those that he loves. But then we come to this chapter, this portion of chapter 12, and, and that my strength comes from the Lord, no matter what I'm going through. And Lord, that we would never even dream of selling our inheritance as we saw Esau. For a morsel of bread, yet we could fall trapped to that so easy. Father, I pray this morning that you would go before us. I know it's a small group today, but uh, maybe there's somebody here that has never made that commitment to Christ. I, I don't like to let you go without making that opportunity. I hope and pray we're all Christian, we're all saved. But maybe there's somebody here this morning, you have still not made your commitment to God. If you'd like to come to salvation this morning, would you please raise your hand and I'll say a simple prayer of faith. Anybody here, if you've not come to saving grace, and since if we all have come to saving grace, praise God. I always like to give that opportunity. And so let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, that the body of Christ is here this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you take our sins as far as the east is to the west, and you cast them into the sea. Thank you, Lord, that these, your saints, your servants, are Christian, born again of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, strengthen them now, Lord. Strengthen them. And Lord, remind us what the psalmist says. My strength comes from God. Lord, strengthen us with your love, your grace, your mercy. Father, bless the offerings this morning. Lord, as you've given to us, we give back a portion. And we are so grateful, Lord. We love you. We praise you. We worship you. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.